Oh yeah, no, I forgot. I forgot about that. <laughs> oh, so you actually run a podcast, do you? What's, mm. what's your podcast? Where will we find it? Um, so it's called Mad Like Me. Um, we're actually just recording the first season at the moment, and we're going to release our entire season in one. So we're going to release in March twenty twenty. Ah, So yeah, we're in the middle of it all at the moment. We're about four episodes in, and we're going to do I think um, six to eight season um, episodes per season. Cool. Mm. Well, just so you know, this is episode this is episode one of season six. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, Mainly because uh, we've kind of done done some very short seasons recently. What happened to season five, Matt? Is that the lost season or something? No, no, we did we did two episodes, I think. No, I thought that was season four. Oh, no, I think it was season five, but we were right. I called this season four point four, episode forty two. <laughs> no, this is, this is definitely it's definitely episode 42. Are you just trying to make us have loads of seasons of like one episode so it looks like we're like massive yes. pros? I, I, I um... love that. That's like not a bad shout. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I... Well, we've got to fit, I've got to fit a question in about this podcast thing and find yes. out what it's all about. Yeah, sure. Let me get to the bottom of the uh, questions around the, the show and then, ah, oh, that, that's where. That's where it looks like it goes in there. Right. So just for the listener's benefit, um, Darren Lees is now typing something into a Google Doc. <laughs> One finger typing genius. Excellent. Well said about eight words per minute. <laughs> yeah, uh, four of them correct. And spell check to <laughs> sort the other four out. <laughs> Excellent. Right. Are we ready to roll? Cool. Mm-hmm. Let's go for it. Are you doing the intro? Do you want to do the intro? I don't mind. Would you like me to do to the intro? I'm happy for are you. We, are we on epi- are we going to call it episode 42 or do you want to go to season five? I think we call it season six, episode one. Season six. There's not even a five. Okay. All right. Yeah. We call it season five, episode one. That's 5.1. Right. Yeah. Excellent. 5.1. That's As right. you can see, Jamie, we, we talk a lot before the episodes mm. and we're so well drilled. Oh, exactly the same. Don't worry, I love this cash vibe. <laughs> Welcome to the Podcrastinators, Season 5, Episode 1. And today's guest is a creative entrepreneur, musician, dog mama, and founder of Make Your Noise. Originally from Kirikiriroa, hope I got that right, she crash-landed into Tamaki Makaro after a 10-year stint in the UK. Passionate about creating safe, created spaces, she started Make Your Noise as an open mic, which has now grown to a curated variety show at the legendary Thirsty Dog. Welcome to the show, Jamie Wise. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here and chatting with you guys. We appreciate you making the time. Thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. Nice and relaxed on a Sunday afternoon. (laughs) The sunniest Sunday we've had in a while as well, so it's it's good vibes. Just in cool. terms of um in, of where you say you're from, Jamie, is that mm. the the city or the musical? <laughs> I wish it was the musical. Going to be a much cooler. Um, no, born and bred a Hamilton girl, so rural cowgirl, and then yeah, made my way over to the UK when I was 23 and stayed there for as long as I could. Um, and then came home for a um 
a holiday for a summer and was like, oh, yeah, I'll spend six months at home. I was meant to fly back to London March 2020. So that did not quite work out the way that I planned it would. Wow. So you were actually going to go back. You weren't you weren't actually intending to stay in New Zealand. No, so whereabouts yeah. in whereabouts in London did you live? Um, at that point, um, I'd just been living in Greenwich. Well, actually, yes, I'd been living in Greenwich, um, and then I spent some time in um, in the Channel Islands. I lived on a tiny island called Sark, which has oh, like, wow. no cars, no streetlights, um, and I, I've lived out there a couple of times. Um, huh? So I was quite... <laughs> yeah. So, so sorry, yeah. we have to get into the Sark story then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, sure. um, yeah, so are you like some weird feudalist? Is that what drew you to no. the, the strangest <laughs> part of Europe? No, and by the time I got there, it was no longer a feudal state. They have some resemblance of a government, um, which is just like, I don't know if I should say this or not, but it's mostly people from the pub. Um, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I lived there a couple of times. So I actually moved there um, I think about four or five years ago to work in a pub called the Bellia. I literally just chose it because I have a deep love of Fresh Prince of Valley and I thought that sounds like a good omen. Um, and so I just turned up to this like island having like no idea what to expect, um, what the people would be like. And it was, yeah, it was, it was wild. It was weird. It was wonderful. And um, I met one of my best friends there. And so, yeah, so last, oh, well, not last year. Oh my God. It feels like last year that I just left. Um, but my last year in the UK, I spent the summer there before coming back to New Zealand. You do know oh. if you wanted a wild island with no electricity and no streetlights, you could have just gone to Great Barrier. <laughs> the pubs are pretty good. I mean, there's not a lot on site, but there are some really good pubs. And it's cheap. It was like two to three quid, like, for a pint, you know? Like, wow. You don't, and you don't pay any income tax because you don't pay tax in the Channel Islands. So, um, yeah, one of the most interesting experiences, for sure. The question I got is what drove you to go to the UK, you know, country cowgirl or farm girl mm-hmm. or something like that, and, and then to spend 10 years there? Yeah, so my mum's actually British. So she immigrated over with my grandparents um, when she was still a child. But, like, I would say our family is still heavily influenced by our British sort of background. I'm very close with my grandmother. She helped raise us. Um, and then when I was 10, we did a bit of a backpacking trip for three months around the UK and I just got bit by the travel bug pretty hard so yeah 23 it was just me my guitar my backpack and I literally had 300 pounds that's it in my pocket not in a bank account because I'm an idiot and that's all I had that's it um and then yeah when I was over there I just lived this like kind of like wonderful weird nomadic life I would I lived in Scotland I lived um all over the Channel Islands I lived in um Lake Districts, London, Morocco for a while, Amsterdam for a while. So, yeah, I just kind of spent my time going to all these places and meeting people, singing music, and, yeah, just loving life. Were you, were you over there, like, doing performances and stuff like that? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I gigged quite a lot, particularly in London. Um, I was gigging, like, two to three times a week and got to play a couple of festivals. And, yeah, just wherever I was, I always had my guitar, so pretty much singing everywhere I could. Cool. What 
was your favorite experience about 10 years? Have you got one thing that really mm. sticks out to you, like the coolest thing you did or the maddest thing you did or something like that? Um, I think my Amsterdam story is pretty, it's probably one of the most memorable. So <laughs> I uh, <laughs> I moved to Amsterdam. Um, I was following a guy that I was madly in love with in a van, obviously, um, and I was I know, it starts good, ends great. Um, so I moved to Amsterdam with him um, and just through luck had a friend who had an apartment over there that was um, empty and we got to, like, stay in it for pretty cheap. Um, but I got Yoko ono So unbeknownst to me, he had invited this girl that he'd met for, like, an hour in America like ten, like two years earlier and she just like moved into this apartment and it just kind of all went terribly wrong but I am um, fell down the stairs <laughs> because I I'm the clumsiest person in the world so I fell down the stairs um for no other fun reason than I was taking up recycling um and managed to like fall all the way down to the bottom of the stairs hit the front door right. and then like there's people like knocking on the door and like yelling at me in Dutch and I'm trying to open it and they're like are you okay and I'm like that's fine and it's just a sprain and um, it was not just a sprain long story short it turns out it was a broken foot oh um and I don't know if you guys have been to Amsterdam before but like because the houses are so narrow yeah. Yeah. the stairs are so narrow yeah. and there's like no such thing as like a lift or an elevator at the top of the building and of course I lived on the top of the three-story apartment so navigating that was with crutches was quite fun um but I woke up one day well I woke up in the middle of the night and I could hear all of this banging and I was like I wonder what that is and then I woke walk out into the living room the next day and everything's gone everything is gone and this guy in Yoko Yono um had done a runner in the van that we had turned up to like in Amsterdam and like left me there which is fine like I'm a pretty resourceful girl so like but the worst thing was that I had this broken foot and I didn't really know what to do with it um so I stayed there for a little bit longer until I could travel but I had no money because you know traveling and being an idiot so I caught an, a bus from Amsterdam back to London cost me like 19 euros so like 40 dollars and about halfway through I realized that I couldn't carry all of my belongings my guitar and my crutches so about halfway through the trip I had to like ditch my crutches <laughs> and I was just like and then you know you, you catch the the boat over through the channel like the um channel isles and I was just like on this boat. The sun was coming out because it was dawn. And I'm just sitting there with this broken foot and my guitar. And it's been like a crazy 15 hours so far. And I just thought, I am like never going to forget this moment ever. <laughs> like, ever. And I honestly haven't. And it's just kind of stuck with me that like if I can kind of navigate my way through that, I can navigate my way through almost anything. anything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's an amazing story. <laughs> when you said you had an Amsterdam story, I thought, well, everyone's got an Amsterdam story, but no, that's much better than most. Yes. I probably got those other Amsterdam stories too, though. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I thought you were going to share. So that's a, that's a much more original one. Every Amsterdam story, every other one involves cakes, 
red light districts or something like that, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> I think it was quite boring there, though, to be honest. Um, it was very music-focused at the time that we were rehearsing, well, until until it got ditched. Um, we were <laughs> rehearsing, like, every day. I mean, like, honestly, is that not the ultimate ghosting when you literally turn into, like, a ghost? It's just everything gone. Terrifying. It was funny. <laughs> Did they take any of your stuff or was it just their stuff that went? Um, it was their stuff, but we did have some joint like musical gear, like, you know, amps and stuff like that. So that also went missing, but it's fine. It's all just stuff at the end of the day, you know? Yeah. That is a great experience. Thanks for sharing <laughs> that. That's an amazing story. Thank you. Do you actually come from a performing family? Um, yeah, I do actually. So um, my house was very musical growing up. Um, I loved to sing. Um, my mum like all, was always singing and we'd always just do this weird thing in our house where we'd just randomly talk in an accent for a day, you know, and so a very like sort of creative family. Um, I did a lot of like acting as a kid. Um, but I didn't actually pick up the guitar until I was 15 and just completely like taught myself and um but yeah my sister's actually a pretty well-known dj these days so she's out and about being cool and i'm just singing about my feelings with the guitar but um yeah, but yeah we we do come from quite a creative family and i think also being pacifica islander you know i'm tongan as well um you know we tend to have the the musical creative genes sort of inside of us anyway so give you give you give your sister a little plug Oh, yeah. I mean, she's amazing. So my sister's Pixie Lane. Um, and if you listen to Georgie FM or anything like that, you know Yes, her? yes, I yeah. know who your sister is then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. she just dropped awesome. her, her first single on Thursday. So um, Frequency, which is her first track that she's actually written and produced herself, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. That is super awesome and super cool, right? Oh, so cool. She is literally all of the cool points in our family. <laughs> Not quite all. Because you've got some and we're going to talk about them. <laughs> What's made you move to Auckland other than it being the only city worth living in in New Zealand? Well, I think that was kind of it because from London to Hamilton was just a little bit too difficult to bear. Um, but I, I was originally in Hamilton when I first sort of ended up back here. Um, but yeah, I knew that I needed to be in a big city um, and just, you know, an opportunity to maybe meet people who a bit more like me or um or in that creative scene um so yeah Auckland just seemed like the logical choice and my sister's based up here and so is my father so you know I kind of knew a few people but yeah never thought as a as a Hamiltonian girl I never thought that I would become a Jaffa but here I am (laughs) you haven't had the feeling of moving back to the Tron no Sometimes, yeah, like sometimes I'm like, would it be easier? Um, and then I'm like, no, it would not change. Oh. Don't do that to yourself. <laughs> so let's talk about your cool show that you oh, cool. run, mm-hmm. Make Your Noise. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that come about? Um, so I don't know if you guys know Move Space on Dominion Road. Um, which is a bit of a creative venue and house mm-hmm. as well. So when I was back um, thinking that I was leaving, I wanted somewhere that I could just like connect with some other creative people while I was here. And then um, 
also just like, I don't know, do some co-working. I was working on some other side hustles at the time. So I found uh, Move Space and it was just so cool, so vibey. And they host a lot of events. And I said to Karen, who was who's the owner um, and founder, said, you guys should really like run a open mic here. And he said, oh, we used to, but the guys who want to don't want to do it anymore. Um, but would you be keen? I was like, oh yeah, I could probably set that up for them and then like get a couple going before I go and, you know, kind of leave it as my legacy for this space that had given me so much. So I said, sure, I'll do it. And they're like, when? And this is in, oh, I think January 2020. So they're like, when do you want to do it? I was like, hmm. Let's do the second week of February. So I literally gave myself like 12 days, I think, something wild to get this whole thing set up. Um, and I just was like, okay, I don't actually know any creatives here. So I just, anybody that came into Move Space, I was like, hey, do you do anything? Like, would you want to, to da, 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 da? And then I've been to like a couple of open mics. And so I was like, everyone that I met there, I was like, hey, do you want to like, come and perform at this thing and somehow um I just managed to speak to so many different people so I my first show I think I had 16 performers um and it was just this really beautiful cross-section of like poets and musicians and comedians and um I think we even had a magician for the first one which was just like insane and and the whole space was full like the um, I was so worried that like eight people were going to turn up, but there were people like waiting outside. Um, and yeah, pretty much straight away, like I just knew that the special part of Make Your Noise was that it was sort of that like multidisciplinary, like it wasn't just music, it wasn't just comedy, it wasn't just poetry, that it kind of like brought all of these different people together in a room. Um, and as someone who has performed at many open mics um, and knows how soul-destroying they can be, and um, I think particularly when you know it's just a room of other, like your, your fellow creatives, um, you can start feeling, I don't know, a little bit, competitive or you can compare yourself too much or you know that people aren't really engaged what you're doing because they're thinking about what they're going to do when they get up on stage but by having this like mix it meant that the poets were listening to the comedians and the musicians and they were bringing a different crowd and the same with like everybody and um, so it, yeah it just ended up being this beautiful vibey thing um where we really really tried to create this culture of kindness I guess and yeah that was January 2020 and we're almost at the end of 2022 and still going and have managed to like survive a pandemic and yeah I don't know how but I'm very very grateful really grateful for the community. I've, I've just made the connection now because I heard about these shows back in early 20 me and Matt came out the comedy school together in late 19. Mm-hmm. And I've just actually realised that what they actually were back then, because back then I was like, oh, yeah, I see these shows and it's got some music and some community. I don't know how that works and stuff like that. That was before I discovered that if you just go to a room of comedians, they just don't laugh at each other. And that's totally <laughs> soul destroying. So, yeah. Um, yeah. but I've actually just made the connection that they were actually your shows back then that's that's become what they are now. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I'm uh, really, really proud of who we are. Thank you. I think like um, I just yeah I just knew that um, well we did we managed to do February then we got to March then it became extremely clear that I wasn't leaving the country um, but the, the the writing was on the wall in February anyway that's when my flight started getting cancelled um, but by the time we were in lockdown I was like 
would have been really easy just to let it go and be like, oh, well, I tried, who knows. Um, But I don't know, my heart just kept saying, no, like, do something with this, think about it, be smart. So we did a couple of online gigs um, whenever, when that was the thing, you know, yeah. Zoom gigs. Um, and, yeah, actually they turned out super amazing as well. And somehow they became international. So I had, like, people performing from, like, Malaysia, people performing from London, Australia, um, all over New Zealand. And it was the same vibe. Um, and the first time we did just, like, a closed Zoom and obviously I just that didn't work very well so then we did the second one where it was like live streaming via Zoom and so people could just like watch and yeah they went they went really well but it just kept that magic alive and it kept um the vibe of the gig alive so that when we could actually start hosting live gigs again we hadn't lost that momentum. So when you set it up did you deliberately set it up as a safe space or did it become a place of safe space that's a really good question. Um, I think it's become a safe space. I think the communities is what created it as a safe space. Um, I try and do, this sounds so like math, but I try and do everything with like kindness um, and having been, you know, having been a performer for a really long time. And I used to do a lot of like events, but kind of in a different space in the UK um, when I ran pubs and stuff. But um, I just... I understood, I guess I could really empathize with the with where the performers would be and how they would be feeling. So, you know, I spend a lot of time working with artists, making sure that they feel comfortable, that they know what they're doing, that they understand the vibe. Um, but I also know how important it is for an audience to feel engaged and for an audience to feel like they're part of the magic too. So, you know, when we start make um, when we start uh make your noise show we always set the rules and there are rules and the rules are like you know make your noise like make your noise for the people making their noise um and the other rule is like while the acts are on give them all of your attention give them your aroha um and it sounds silly but it just changed the game because now people don't talk during my acts and as I'm sure you guys know as performers that's huge mm, like and mm, um, yeah. so so the artists feel really celebrated the the audience feel like they're just as important which they are um and yeah it's just created this beautiful culture of kindness for sure I find that really interesting at a location like Thirsty Dog mm-hmm. actually uh, you've done you've done comedy that's what too. I was just thinking as well yeah because yeah. Thirsty Dog is raucous as shit normally Mm-hmm. And I've been there for some comedy nights where the audience have just gone out of control, like out of control. Um, so to create that in somewhere like Thirsty Dog, that's traditionally yeah. a rock music bar and stuff mm-hmm. like that, that's pretty. That's pretty amazing to get the audience on side like that. Thank you. I must be much scarier than I seem, or something. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a bit cheapy. Um, no, I think also like the kind of people that come want to be there. You know, they want to celebrate um, the artists that are on stage, and and we, we keep it pretty short and sweet. I think that's the other part of it. Well, not the, the not the gig itself. The gig actually runs probably a little too long, and I'm trying to figure that out. Um, but you know, like it's a six minute set for the comedians. It's two songs for the musicians. It's um two poems for the poets and my sort of more alternative acts you know I'm always like oh, around 10 minutes whatever whatever it is that they're doing um and um, I also heavily curate the night as well so like a musician will never follow a musician a comedian will never follow a comedian and for two reasons one it's so that 
you're not comparing yourself to whoever goes on stage mm-hmm. next, right? So you get to bring fresh energy for yourself. But it's also to keep the audience interested as well. It means that they kind of, if it will feel like chaos to them, but it's highly organized by me. But that kind of fun kind of chaos, that kind of like surprise and delight. So, yeah. um, and I think that's really been key, how we curate the night is really key on how we keep the audiences engaged. I'm also not above being on stage being like, hey, be quiet. So, you know, I can just get my school teacher vibes on if I need to. Yeah, because as Darren said, that is definitely a place where I know I know comedians who won't perform at the comedy night there. Um, just because they found it too stressful the previous mm. times that they've they've performed. So I don't think people should underestimate how hard it is to create that kind of welcoming space that is because uh, you know the people that MC the the comedy nights are very experienced and mm-hmm. do try yeah. to make it make it welcoming, but it's the audience. <laughs> I think the work. Yeah. Mm. Sorry, Jamie. Carry on. Oh no, no, I was just going to say, just go around and tell them off. Be like, shh, shh. <laughs> I think the worst nod I saw there was somebody asked if they could do some comedy on stage and they weren't on the bill. So that's rule number one. Never give the microphone to someone you have no idea who they are. Mm-hmm. And they went up on stage and then started to read out text messages from someone who was in the room that had tried to... And it was just like, there was me and someone else and we were going to the MC. You just have got to stop this. This is like out of control. Like... There is what were the text messages? In the yeah, room. no, I want to know the text messages now. This yeah. is interesting. Yeah. I would have definitely enjoyed this. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, where's the popcorn? <laughs> yeah, me and this other person were literally like, you've got to call a halt to this. This is, And you could see the audience were getting more and more awkward the more detailed oh. and intimate the text messages come. I was <laughs> like, oh you just can't randomly give microphones to people you don't know because you cannot control what they're going to do when they get that microphone. No. Oh, my Lord. Was it like someone reading, like, breakup messages or, like... Oh, I was attempting to date messages. <gasps> Even better. No, oh, no this wow. is fine. This is fine. I mean, my dark side was kind of enjoying it, but my light side was dying for this individual, so... <laughs> Oh, my Lord. Oh, man, I was shopping there. That sounds epic. It is epic. <gasps> oh, man. Well, it was yeah. epic. That's, I don't know. I could see somebody making an act out of that, to be honest. <laughs> I could have stole it. But, uh... <laughs> so you've been going with Make Your Noise now nearly three years? Oh, yeah. I just realised that before when I realised what year we were in. So it'll be three years in a couple of months. So apart from the venue, and we'll, we'll we'll talk about how you landed on Thirsty Dog in a minute, mm-hmm. what's changed and developed, or have you been able to just keep that essence? Yeah. I think the essence has stayed the same. Um, I think it's it's still a vibey kind stage. Um, it's still this very like um, you know eclectic evening. I think we've just become more refined. So before I kind of, like, I there anybody on stage? And I'd have, like, 16 acts in one night. Um, and that was when it was, like, you could do one song, one poem, or, like, a six-minute set sort of thing. Um, and it was just chaos, but and it just became too much sort of for me to manage. But when we moved to Thursday, I really wanted to, like, make an intentional change. So we started becoming a ticketed event. Um, I managed to get some funding through... Um, the creative um, community scheme. Love them. And I was like, all right, we need to stop being an open mic and we need to become a variety show. 
because ultimately my dream is to turn us into a bridging stage. So that kind of stage where it'd be like, oh, that person, you know, from when um, they, they used to perform and make the noise and kind of wanted to elevate it so that it became a space for people who maybe were just about to pass like the open mic stage, um, but also maybe not quite ready for the um, for a professional stage. Um, so we whittled down our acts and our top so top I will have like nine acts in an evening um it's way more curated um and I pay all my artists as well not a lot because I don't make a lot but um everybody well actually I make nothing <laughs> I really I need to sort that out like I'm like come on Jamie like I'm basically like yeah when yeah it's sort of it's it sometimes kind of comes out of my own pocket but it's fine because it's worth it but um yeah everybody gets paid who goes on my stage regardless of whether you're a first-time performer or a seasoned pro um it's about validating awesome. that transaction of of energy i guess yeah awesome that's um that's interesting that the idea of whether you pay people or not even if you don't make money I mean, the only event that Darren and I have, have promoted, um, I think it was a pretty much a no-brainer for us that we would pay people. Mm. I don't think we even debated it in not being paid because we just wanted people that we knew would deserve to be paid, actually. 100%. And, you know, like, I think it's up to event promoters to really try and um, stop this culture of exposure, you know, like pay you an exposure dollars and having having had that for like all of my musical career like I just knew that it was really important and I also remember the first time I ever got paid and it was really the difference between making me feel like I could legitimately do this or not mm. so you know if the measly $25 I that someone gets from performing at Make Your Noise means that they feel like they can keep going with their creative <laughs> endeavors then like it's totally worth it. I mean, you're right, Matt. We did that one gig and it was great. I mean, after it, I was like on such a high. But like the stress of like leading up to it of <laughs> ticket sales and, you know, normally yes. you turn up and it's like, oh, there's not an audience. It's not my fault. I tried to get people there. But when you're ultimately responsible, like, yes. like yes. and you're doing the ticketing and everything, how do you find that? Do you just kind of find that? Are you not kind of used to it now as the curator no. and stuff like that? I am broke down city like 48 hours. Ask anybody who's near me, they're like, yeah, Jamie, 48 hours before making noise. Don't to speak too much to her. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I think I'm probably, but I'm definitely more relaxed than I used to be um, about it. I, I just get really nervous because it, it does mean a lot. And not for me, I just wanted to make sure that like my performers felt like they were getting out to like a decent audience and I think the thing is like when you run a show like this um predominantly on your own you know and you're trying to wear all those different hats um trying to build a brand alongside of it is is a lot of tricky and I haven't yeah I'm, I'm a lot better than I used to be like we've got a big show coming up this week and we're trying to do something that's a bit different um and it has got me feeling a bit nervous but I'm much more like oh, it will be what it will be and in these times of COVID I mean you know like the last couple of shows that I've done people have had to pull like I've had like half yeah. my ex who have to pull out you know because they've got COVID and or you know like levels changing the day before so yeah, if anything, it's just taught me to roll with the punches. But I still, yeah, I still feel the pressure for sure. And then everything goes fine. That's the other thing, right? As you guys all know, like you worry about it, you worry about it, you worry about it, and then it happens, and you're just like, "Ooh, 
It was great. I just remember the hour before the thing we did was just wanting to violently vomit the whole yeah. hour before, just in case no one hands? turned up. Yeah. <laughs> what was the show that you were doing? We we uh, we just ran a comedy uh, a comedy night and and we ran it in a place that we used to cover quizzes and stuff like that and we sold mm-hmm. them the dream that like you should definitely hold a comedy night here. This is an amazing location. Yeah. And then like three days before we sold half the amount of tickets and it was like, oh, my God, this is so stressful. But by the end of the night, by the time the night came, we actually were turning people away, which was pretty That's pretty amazing. cool in one respect, but not in another. But we had about 70 or something people there. But like Matt's really? always a lot cooler, or at least on the surface he seems a lot well, yeah, cooler. Well, yeah, no, no, it's true. I, I wasn't that stressed. Um, compared to you, um, <laughs> no, we sold we sold about eighty tickets, I think. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, we basically broke even, minus. I mean, we didn't make any money, but we we broke. We didn't have to put any of our own money in. Ultimately, mm. that was the. Uh, so it's it was the a dream. Yeah. <laughs> it's the dream. <laughs> yeah. Although now I say that, I'm just thinking actually there might have been two acts. Did we actually pay them in the end? I can't remember. <laughs> With love, <laughs> I'm pretty sure we paid them, but we definitely paid MCs, pros, and everything like that for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think even the two open micers that we we ended up paying in the end, or we, we did were going to for them. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, they sent us our bank details and we paid them. Otherwise, they're going to be listening to this going, "You fucking bastard!" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll, be like, day. Yeah, we'll, be expo- we'll be exposed on Facebook and Twitter. Well, yeah, um, if you're listening, you can come to make a noise and I'll, I'll definitely pay. Oh, me. yeah, cool, cool. Yeah. That'll, <laughs> that'll be on my lineup. Yeah. We're banned from Make Your Noise, Matt, for not paying artists <laughs> that, we, <laughs> that we claim to pay. <laughs> yeah, no shit, did we? I'm sure we did in the end. We intended to. So if you're listening do. to this, either of you, apologies, do um, hit us up after this. No, don't. The debt's the Darren all Darren all sort it. <laughs> so um how did you land on Thirsty Dog of, of all venues? It kind of feels like it would be a beautiful little theatre type kind of yeah. place that would but the, yeah, how did you how did that relationship with Thirsty Dog start? Yeah, so I um I well Make Your Noise was just, I had the, I had a good problem of too many people coming to Make Your Noise. And so um, when it was at Moose Space, which is this tiny, tiny little room, and people were having to, like, stand outside and, you know, I like, there weren't enough seats. There would be on the floors. People would be down the hall. And, um, like, as cool as it was, it was just really physically uncomfortable. So it was just too hot. <laughs> people were too close. Also, we're in a pandemic. And so, you know, I had, I had a good problem of, needing to find like a bigger space um but I I wanted so move space didn't have a stage but because of the vibe that it was it kind of worked but I kind of in my head I just had this dream of having like this elevated stage and you're right I kind of wanted this like dinner theater vibe you know like where people would come and sit down at tables and you know feel like they're in like an old school jazz club and um yeah so I wanted that kind of like feel but I didn't really know Auckland venues that well at the point um but I had played a gig myself at, at Thirsty so I knew the vibe of that um and yeah it sort of shopped around but my heart just kept going back to Thirsty back to Thirsty um and yeah so just went in and asked them hey I do this thing um, and the girl that was sort of the manager at the time, 
um she had heard of make your noise so that was really oh, helpful cool. I think I think a couple of comedians had been in and had been talking about it so um when I went in she already knew what it was so she kind of gave us an in um and then we were meant to start and then another bloody lockdown happened um so we were kind of like paused um and then by the time we were meant to set up again uh the the person the woman who'd been running it had left and had not told them about our arrangement or our agreement or anything so I had to like go back in and hustle and be like guys please do we can we um you know and then yeah and so we did and they really support us you know like um I don't know if we're their biggest earning night, but I know that we bring in a lot of people that maybe wouldn't normally experience Thirsty mm-hmm. Dog. Um, and they just, they really, really support the arts, like 100%. So, um, yeah, I, I love working with them. Really, really do. And Soul was incredible, but he's just left. And so now Zach's sort of taken over the show and Zach's doing an amazing job. <laughs> so, yeah, and they've been really generous with us as well and helping us out with the sound and that sort of thing. So, yeah, they're really big supporters of grassroots creators. But the live is cool. The one thing I'll say about it, it's got one of the best stages in Auckland. 100%. Completely yeah, yeah, agree. Definitely. Yeah. Good, good pub stage. Nice and yeah. high. Yeah. And the sound is good. Yeah. And, like, the you know, the lighting feels very cool. And it's very easy. It's very easy to elevate a show in Thursday, you know, I think. Um and yeah, it's just been perfect for us because I don't want to ever be, well, I say this now, but I don't want to be so polished that it feels too professional. I still want that like sort of grungy, but in a good way, like, you know, yeah. um, and it just makes everybody else feel a bit more relaxed as well. Mm. Definitely. So um, we noticed that uh, you're offering free tickets to people that produce a negative rat test. Um mm-hmm. Is that still going on? What made you think of doing that? And uh, 100%, yeah. Yeah. Is that like, a, is it paying, does it pay off for you? Do you get like a significant uptake? Um, I don't know. We'll see if it will pay off. Um, the reason that I'm doing this is I have a lot of immunocompromised people in my world, um, particularly my bestie, um, who I also love with, Charlie. Um, she has a condition called CVID, which is a respiratory um, thing. And basically it means like, her body doesn't produce any antibodies so um this pandemic has been one of the most isolating experiences for her but what actually has made it more isolating is the moment that we lifted all of these mandates all the mandates um for people like charlie and people who are vulnerable to covid or live with people who are vulnerable to covid those safety measures have been taken away because no one's wearing masks no one's doing vaccine pass checks you know those sorts of things that kind of meant that charlie and could have a semblance of a life outside of you know having to be so mindful of covid wherever she goes um kind of really inspired me to be like all right well is it not really down to us, the event producers, to think about how we can be a more inclusive space? And one of the things that I'm really proud of about Make Your Noise as it is, is that we are intentionally diverse. We really mindfully think about who we put on stage, um, whose voices we are platforming. And I was like, wow, this is a whole community that I haven't really thought about. I don't think anyone really has in a way that navigates it. 
So yeah, so the gig is what we're doing and, and I'm terrified. Like if I'm going to be a hundred percent honest, I'm terrified that I'm not going to be able to pull it off. Um, but the idea is, is that the whole gig is free, but you just have to produce evidence of a negative rat test. Um, so just a photo. We're going to have rat tests at the gig for people that haven't been able to or, or weren't aware. Um, and yeah, I, you know, if it just inspires one other event producer to do the same thing, or it means that people who haven't been able to access the arts for the last, you know, few years are then able to access the arts, then, you know, that's a success for me. Cool. So can you only go on Friday if you are producing a negative test, yeah? Yeah, 100%, yeah. Cool. And, yeah, it's a, it's kind of weird messaging in this time, you know, like I think if I'd done this a year ago, maybe people, I don't know, it's a weird time because we're still in the middle of the pandemic, cases are on the rise, like yeah. people are still very much affected by it, but we've got COVID fatigue, like, fatigue right now, so people don't want to be reminded of it at the same time but for 20 percent of new zealanders they live it every single day still you know it's an interesting one though because i was i must admit when the government made the announcement i was like yeah it probably is the right time to kind of make that decision now people have had enough you know fatigued with it all and everything but actually i, I was just in the philippines recently and um they're still uh, i think because they've got a lower vaccination rate you've still got to be masked up everywhere on public mm. transport on the planes you know, on the plane in for the last 10 hours from Sydney, had to be masked up. Um, everything you do there, even in the streets, people yeah. tend to be wearing masks. Um, and, and I think actually they seem to be fine with it. People don't seem fatigued at all. They're just doing mm. it. Because they know if they don't do it, they'll get told off. Do you think <laughs> that like... there's more of a, um, I don't know, like a social currency over there, like a more of a collective social currency over there than perhaps places like New Zealand and the Western world where we seem to be a bit more, we seem to be a bit more individual. Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's that, because, I mean, you also look at this, you know, people living in cardboard boxes or mm. piled around um, shopping malls full of air-conditioned shopping malls surrounded by armed guards. <laughs> it's kind mm. of like, you know, it's, so I don't think it's that necessarily in yeah. their case. I think it's more, I don't know. I just, but I also think people don't, having um, hung out with locals most of the time I was there, they just didn't seem to give it a moment's thought. They just did what, they, you know, they just complied. Yeah. And they were fine with it and they didn't moan. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we had that as well. I recently went to Dubai and between Dubai and Malaysia on the way home, there was mask mandate on the plane because we stopped off in, du in Malaysia in Kuala yeah. Lumpur to refuel. And then when we left Kuala Lumpur, you could take your mask off again for the last 10 hours of the leg back to so it's quite kind of interesting how it's all working at the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think mm -hmm. we're definitely in this like in-between space, you know. So with Make Your Noise, how often do you run a Make Your Noise show? Um, the dream is once a month, um, but that hasn't really panned out with like the pandemics and everything. And then this year I got chosen to be um, part of the booster campaign like um, that they did about reigniting um, the arts and Tamaki Makoto, but uh, I failed. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't do it very well. Um, and yeah, like huge learnings, but um, I didn't raise the money. Like you have to, you have to basically hit your crowdfunding point, otherwise you don't get anything. So, yeah. um, which so it was just devastating to be honest. I was like, how am I going to do this? Um, the make your noise bank account was getting lower and lower, and I was like, oh, can I keep doing this? And I thought, all right, I'm just going to do one more. 
um, and see how it goes. But actually now ticket sales are kind of paying for the next show, which is like, I mean, it's breaking even for the next show, but um, that's just awesome. Like that feels like a really good space to be in. So at the moment we're doing every second month. Um, and then I think next year, I'm not sure. Um, I think I've just got a decision to make for next year, whether I do it bigger, but less often or more often, but maybe do make it smaller. So yeah, just going to see where my capacity is at. Um, and also just what funding I can get and yeah, how we can keep going. But I'm hoping that we'll keep going at least every second month. Awesome. No, I hope have, so. you, have you noticed the, have you seen the MCH's um, resilience fund? No. Have a look on that website. The I will. second round, I think closes on the 23rd of February. Awesome. That's really helpful. Thank you so much. No worries. And also, yeah, potentially talking to other regional producers. I'm not going to name them in case they, they go, I don't want to do that. But they may, <laughs> and off-air would most certainly recommend a few that, that run shows down country that might go, actually, that would be somewhat interesting. I mean, I know the regions, there's less people, so sometimes it might be harder. But when you're offering something, to wider genres because mm. if you just go and do a and, and I'm, I'm just going to say that the, the geography just because i've done comedy in that region but if you talk so sort of like taranaki mm. wanganui you may only have 10 to 20 comedians in the whole town yeah so you try and run a monthly comedy show you have to bring people in from outside otherwise you know even christchurch suffers from this talking to the producers down there yeah. you can sometimes see the same comedian two three times in a month yeah. Um, and, you know, comedians aren't always, especially raw comedians, are just not producing that level of material. Yeah. So if I guess if you open it up and you say, well, actually, we want some poets, we want some singers, we want some, you know, people doing this, that and the other, it then brings a wider community together. 100%. The dream is a tour. Like, so the dream is I make a nice tour. And I do think that we would do really well in these more, like, local, like, you know, sort of more smaller towns I think it could be a real thing to like bring people out and bring communities and um yeah so I, I have dreams I just need money so if I could be money please <laughs> please sir can I have some more are you gonna have a crack at the boosted thing again or are you gonna look at other avenues um I think I'm not sure so because boosted relies so heavily on the community and my community is really poor um, because it's just other artists you know people who want to give can't necessarily don't necessarily have the ability to do so um and I think I, I, I might just be a little gun shy with the booster campaign um I'm not ruling it out but I think I would like to go for um you know some of those more traditional like funding routes so like you know CCS grants and look at arts grants and maybe like um other sort of council stuff um and yeah I also want to like start making some merch and like building the brand that way mm. um, but that yep. requires a little bit of an investment as well so um January is going to be my time to really sort of focus reflect you know probably build a bit of a business plan um what I want the next two years of make your noise to look like and then just strategizing about how I can get there. On the merch thing, again, mm. some listeners well, we're actually some listeners they better be interested because we do merch. Um, <laughs> how many people buy it is a different matter. But mm -hmm. there is some merch ways that you can create merch and actually not have the outlay yourself because it's kind yeah. of done on a print as you go basis. That's yeah. what I need to figure out. Yeah. So, so I'll, we, I'll 
I'll we've got some you, contacts. I'll send, I don't know if you've heard of um, the Wellington-based uh, company, um, Print Mighty, for instance. Um, so we do our T-shirts with Print Mighty. We don't make a profit, but there's no cost either. That's Basically, awesome. the, only, the only cost is people buying them. So if, yeah. if you're not the one buying them, there's no cost to you at all. That's awesome. I really want to do badges, like bring back badges. Yes, I have found you do have to pay up front for badges because um, mm. I'm a big fan of little rounds badges. Um, I also like to pretend I'm saying badges. <laughs> <laughs> I want to make branded badges. Badges but, and badges. Um, <laughs> I want both, actually, to be fair. But um, yeah, no, you can uh, you can definitely get badges done really cheaply. Mm-hmm. That's really what I was thinking. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. And I'd you can even buy you. a badge machine actually, and then you've only for like less than a hundred dollars, and you can do that's your so own. Fun. Yeah, I was going to do that and make a whole bunch of them, and then oh, cool. Yeah, then sell them for like you know whatever whatever people will pay. Um, but yeah, ten dollars for a badge, a round metal badge, with just the the badge. You could definitely, for a brand like yours, you could definitely send sell one of those those cheap metal badges for like ten dollars. If you do enameled badges, then mm. that's a bigger outlay up front. Yeah, I'm a big badge fan. I used to be a member of the uh, Trade Union Badge Collectors Society of Great Britain. Look at Darren. Second of all, that exists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come. Seriously. Every time we do a podcast, some random fact about one of us comes out. <laughs> oh my god, I love that! That's amazing. How long did you do that for? Oh no, I was just a member. Like, I you were just a member. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a big collection of badges. My former, my former partner ended up with that the badge collection on her side of things. Oh my gosh, it must have been heartbreaking. No, she's going to be listening to this now, going, "No, I didn't. They're still in a cupboard somewhere. You've just forgotten." <laughs> <laughs> When you both split and moved out, just everyone left the badges and forgot they were there. <laughs> They're probably still... That's it, exactly. They're probably out. But your Make Your Noise logo is actually a cool logo. Oh, thank yes. you. That's actually really definitive. It's thank really cool. Thank you. I love playing with the brand. So, you know, like, I love the colours. And, um, you know, this year we had a very, like, bright, poppy feel. Um, but... I do get people to come and help me like create new content and posts and stuff. Because otherwise it's just my brain and that can get very, you know, just say me after a while. So um yeah, I, I I'm very proud of the logo. Um, but I'm very much looking forward to like playing with it and being a bit more experimental with it as well. So um what do you think is the biggest challenge for creatives at the moment? Is it like finding stage time? Is it safety? Is it trying to make mm-hmm. a living? I think it's a lot of things. Um I I think it's just that there aren't as many shows as there mm. used to be. Do you know what I mean? I left New Zealand in 2029, I think. Oh, 2029. How old am I? Wow. 2009. Wow. From the future. From the future. Um, shh, don't tell anybody. Um, <laughs> 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 guys, we're going to have to cut that out. Um, no. Uh, so I left in 2009. And, you know, I grew up in Hamilton. And Hamilton, like, in my youth, and a kick-ass scene, you know, like music scene, like it was um it was the days of the Datsons, and so they were pretty big and, mm. and all these like local bands. Are they from like, Hamilton? They're from Cambridge, yeah. They're oh, I had band. no idea. They were cool. right. they're from Tiaramutu as well and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Hamilton's a really big music mm. scene, like really, really talented people um, from the Waikato. But um, you know, like we come up to Auckland all the time for all these gigs, and it was like Die 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 were huge, Mint Chicks were huge, New Zealand comedy was huge at the time. Like it was always like the comedy gals were always on TV. Um, and I think there was just a lot more investment in 
not just as to, to the arts, but the people who create the arts as well. So it was um, at that time was when you could basically get the creative benefit, I guess. Like you could be an artist and be on like um, government, like, you know, could be on a government benefit through wins because you were spending your time creating, yes, but being a creative. So, and I think like, you know, the idea is, is it's to support you while you're kind of finding your way and, and doing all the, the first couple of years where it's a bit tough. And then, you know, the idea is that you'd then become this artist that would be self-sufficient. Um, so I left when I felt like New Zealand was just this amazing place to be an artist, came back and I was like, where have all the gigs gone? You know, like, mm. you know, we're in, in a space, I think, where, um, and it's, you know, it's a, a lot of things, you know, that funding gone um venues shutting down um people we invest a lot we kind of invest well we don't invest a lot because it's arts well um but where we do the investing is either um in building up spaces or building up people but we haven't really focused a lot on building up producers we need more people yes. like ourselves um, who are willing to put on the gigs and, and to know how to do that in the first place because it can be well it is it's pretty overwhelming if you've never done it before negotiating with venues getting acts and you know like we used to just when I was you know a teenager we just used to put on gigs in our houses and we'd just like print off these stupid posters from the library and put them out everywhere and you know we, we were able to take that risk um so I think creating more spaces for people to take risks to put on gigs in the first place number one like that just has to happen um and then yeah we have to make it more sustainable for people to to be artists in the first place 100 percent. you obviously must get a lot of requests from artists to come and be on the shows mm-hmm. how do you make your decisions on who's on do you have a process or is it just like I'm looking for some of this and some of that, and you guys seem to fit the bill this time. Yeah, it's it's a lot of um, intuition right now, I think, because um, not every artist I would have heard of um, or seen perform before. Um, so a lot of it is just like recommendations or people putting their hands up and saying, hey, me, um, and me kind of being like, all right, I like your vibe or your energy. Um, if someone says that they've never performed before, I almost 100% always put them on um, because I'm like there is no better stage for someone to like have their very first gig so I I try and like have at least one person each show um, who's never performed before um, but honestly it's, it's just a lot of um, I'm, I'm love to be curious about people so just being curious about the kind of people that are approaching me and then just figuring out what would fit and I, and I honestly try and make space for everyone if, if I can't fit someone on the show I'll put them as a priority for the next show because it's been COVID and pandemic times I get a lot of pull outs on the day because of sickness and stuff so you know if someone has put their hand up but I had to say no then sometimes I can do like a, a last minute yes you know we we heard at the very start while we're having a brief chat before we kicked in that you're looking at um, putting a podcast together yourself yes yes so um, tell us about that and what it's about and when we can sure. expect to see it um so we are it's called mad like me um and it's me and my bestie charlie um who i was talking about before and it's a podcast um it's a podcast about mental health but kind of like every day so we it's called mad like me because it's kind of like we always ask the question how are you mad like me 
and we talk to everyday people um we're not a podcast that's approaching like you know the more well-known people or like you know more public figures um because I think we've kind of my personal take is that you know we've got into this vibe where it's like how can we over exercise people's experiences of mental health and um you know like while it's great to see like people who have achieved amazing things say hey this is something that I struggle with um it can also be like a bit overwhelming hearing someone be like I had depression and now I run five mountains over five mountains a week and you're like <laughs> wow cool what do they have that I don't have um so just talking to like people every day um about their experiences of the world and it's it's kind of um I want to say it's funny, but I don't know if other people would find it funny. Um, very much trauma humor, you know, like just being real and honest and then allowing yeah. people to tell these stories um, in, in their own way. And um, because I love to have systems, it's a very um, it's, it's a very set formula, but because it's a set formula, it means that there's a lot of room within that formula for people to like really talk about themselves. So we are recording our first season and then we will be releasing on march the 8th 2023 which is very exciting that is cool let us know when it's ready to go and we'll give it a good old prompt for a promote when it um when it's ready to go oh thank you yeah yeah we will <laughs> absolutely I think, I think it's something we've talked about a little bit isn't it it's like mental health stuff and um yes kind of neurodiversity and things like that and mm. we both talk about stuff like that in our acts a little bit and you you more than me probably and I do think it's um, one of those things that the more you can get people out there just talking about it, the better, to be honest, I, especially in yeah. a country like New Zealand, where it is um, such a huge issue. Yeah, I 100% agree. And normalising people's experiences is is just absolutely important. And um, I just guess, like, for me, if, if someone tells their story and then somebody else hears it and goes, oh, my gosh, that's the way that my brain works too. Mm. And then immediately feels less alone, less isolated, less weird. Um, you know, then that's a win. Absolutely. So what type of creative entertainment is your favourite and why? I can't choose a favourite. <laughs> that's fine. You don't have to. It's a false, um, it's a stupid question, really. But I... Yeah, I, I obviously am a musician, so I love music. Um, definitely have a big passion for that. Um, but I love them all. I, I genuinely love comedy. I've always, always, always loved comedy. Like, I was obsessed with the New Zealand scene when I was younger, and it feels like such a privilege to work with so many amazing, like, um, you know, local comedians all the time. They've become some of my closest friends, which is just wonderful. Um, and then... Yeah, poetry is beautiful. It's something that I could never do myself, and so I think all I'm I'm quite fascinated by like all all creative endeavors. Have you ever tried stand up comedy yourself? Oh man, you and Amy Thorne. So she is like trying <laughs> to like push me onto a stage. I would love to. I my secret dream. I even have like half written jokes. Um, I'm terrified, guys. I literally don't know how you do it. I don't know. How you get up on stage and just be that brave and that courageous. Um, because it's easy. I don't know, it feels for me, it feels easier with a guitar and a song. Like, you know, people kind of know what to expect. Um, but with comedy, I'd love to. It's a dream. Watch the space, who knows? Um, but yeah. Ooh. Secret, 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 secret dream, secret dream in my heart. <laughs> well, I've I've heard of this show where people that have never done stuff before. <laughs> Apparently, you know, it's a really safe space for them to do it. So 
I should put you in touch with the person who runs Make Your Noise. Oh, and that maybe sounds you... great. Oh, I thought maybe. you were talking about a ding-dong. <laughs> Brutal. <laughs> I feel like because I work with so many comedians in Auckland, though, um, that, like, the pressure's on. Do you know what I mean? Like, so I might just have to, like, I don't know, put on a fake moustache and some, like, well, actually, you know, no, a hat and a trench coat, so... A fake moustache might be a good part of your act, but apart from that, <laughs> honestly, I, I wouldn't worry too much about other co comedians um, being judgmental because they will be anyway. <laughs> but they generally, <laughs> generally, they're polite enough to um, to not make it obvious, especially when it's your first or second yeah. or third or fourth time. It's probably not till after then. And I would say um, you've definitely got a voice for it as well. Oh, thank you. I think I can definitely imagine you on stage telling jokes. Yeah, I just don't know if, like, because I can't tell a joke, you know, like, if you try and get me, like, if I try to recite, like, a joke, I can't do it, it's just, mm. I get the punchline, I'm also neurospicy, so I get, like, the punchlines all mixed up, or I will tangent, as you probably can tell from this podcast, so, um, I'm like, okay, but I'm, I know I'm a good storyteller, so it's kind of like, how do I, how do I be a storyteller, um, yeah. and, and make it funny, I guess. I reckon six minutes on falling down the stairs in Amsterdam and waking up to no furniture is a golden story that needs very little work. <laughs> That's definitely the start, the middle and the finish. And then you just throw in a few bits, a few digressions. I could definitely do a whole set on breaking my foot because I also broke my foot um, about this time last year or when we were still in like, you know, serious lockdown. Um, again, trying to do like a very mundane task of vacuuming. And I managed to fall up the stairs, not down the stairs, up the stairs. Wow. Again, was like, I'm fine, I'm fine. Um, I was working for MediaWorks at the time, so I went into the office the next day and, like, I burst into tears. And my boss was like, are you okay? And I was like, no, I think I broke my foot. She was like, what the fuck are you doing here? Go to a hospital, you idiot. <laughs> and so I go to the hospital, yes, sure enough, I've broken, like, the front of my foot. Um, and so they gave me like, you know, the moon boot thing. And um, I managed to get one of those knee scooters that you can just like zip oh, around yeah. on. Yeah. So <laughs> like that was great at MediaWorks because I would be sitting at my desk as a receptionist da, 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 and my knee scooter would be gone because some of the like, you know, radio guys would have been stealing it or racing it around. <laughs> um, but I was at the vending machine and Steph from the Edge came up and she was like, Jamie, what did you do? So I told her the story of how I like did it. And she was like, oh, my God, that'd be great content. So not only did I end up on the Edge Breakfast Show, but also the Rock Breakfast Show, telling <laughs> the entire country how I'm an idiot and can't vacuum and fell up some stairs. <laughs> I think you guys are right. I think I need to do, like, a whole, like, show on just how I've broken my bones many, many times. Yes, you could. You could call it My Big Break. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yes, I'm here for this. <laughs> That's great. By the way, you can have that. Thank you so much. We've certainly learned the feet and money are not your friends at the moment. I was going to make a really awkward foot joke there, but that's fine. I'll, I'll move on. So was I, actually. One occurred to me then. I was like, nah, I don't know you well enough to make that joke. <laughs> Do I really want to be on a podcast making that kind of joke? <laughs> who knows? Who knows? We'll see. No, no. Our, our audience would be fine with it, trust me. But um, <laughs> Especially my dad. Shout out to my dad who listens to every episode. Oh, Hi, Dad. Man. 
That, that, we get three listeners, Matt's dad, me and Matt, even some of the guests are like, now. Nah, you don't even listen, Darren, you don't even listen to it, and I know that for a fact. Do you, oh, why, do you, do, do you just, like, stalk me to see if I'm, I'm, I'm on the list? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see where I, you're not, I know you don't listen to it, so. <laughs> Which is fine, no judging. You you experienced it, so you don't need yeah, to listen exactly. to it. Yeah, exactly. I don't I even listen to back to my comedy so. sets. I listen to at least each episode at least four times. So I'm doing it for both of us. Thank <laughs> you. Because I don't even listen to my own comedy sets. I hate the sound of my own voice that I won't listen back. A lot of people, that's their one big criticism of the show is the sound of your voice, actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, joking. Just a little joke about the Brummy accent now. I know you're not a Brummy. That's not I'm not joke. from Birmingham. Fuck know, off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Jamie. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Um, yes. You've obviously travelled a lot of places yeah. you know we've heard where's been your favorite place that you've performed have you got any kind of cool performance uh, hands down 10 out of 10 scotland anywhere in scotland you know i lived in glasgow for about four years wow um and yeah just always just i don't know they they love a story do you know what i mean like they love a story they they love a stranger um and it's one of the like only places i've ever been where People genuinely just listen without being told to. Do you know what I mean? They're so, um, and, and maybe I think to be honest, that's where I was inspired by creating of creating that culture with a make your noise. Um, cool stories, probably not. I did perform at a festival um, in Sark. <laughs> they had a festival. It's very, it's like it's called the Folk Festival. It's very hippie, and I was like, oh, Jamie, we'll give you a spot. I was like, oh my god, yeah, I'm so excited. Um, and then of course it's the very first spot. So I performed to me a goat, um, and like two of my friends, <laughs> and a lot of like empty like hay bales. And I was like, it's okay. This happened to the Sex Pistols too, Jamie. You'll be fine. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but like yeah definitely like favorite favorite place to perform has been um has been Glasgow hands down but I probably had one of my um coolest musical experiences when I was living in Morocco so I've been living in Casablanca for a few months and then managed to do a road trip and we were boosting from um Esauera, which is sort of down the coast. oh yeah I've been to Esauera, yeah yeah it's gorgeous yeah I love Esauera. and then we were going all the way across to Masuga the desert mm-hmm. um and we kind of just stopped halfway through at this random village like it was very run down um and we were just kind of stopping for a break because we were on a six-hour drive and all the village children sort of came out and I like took my guitar out because I was like, man, this would be a cool place just to like sing a song. <laughs> and then they were like, come, come, come. And I actually so bought my guitar and then like this beautiful house came out and there was like aunties and uncles and um a guy comes out with like a little like sort of kind of like a box drum sort of version of a yeah. thing. Um and another guy comes out with like an electric guitar and an amp and like plugs it in. And then I just start jamming one of my songs and then they start jamming along with me and we couldn't even speak the same language. But we were just playing music together and like oh. all the children were dancing. And <laughs> I think that's like for me was when I just knew that like language the music itself is like a language and you don't you don't really need to be able to say the same words to like know what people are, are experiencing that's just amazing there's just no barrier right a jamming oh, oh. <laughs> sorry we're just 
joined by a random person. I don't even know who it is. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the person that's got your badges. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. Bye. Hey. <laughs> right. No, it was my my former, not my current partner. <laughs> I know. I know. the badges. <laughs> She'll be listening now. She'll be like, when she listens to the show, she'll be like, what, what are you on about the badges? <laughs> badges again. Playing it uh, all over again. <clears throat> anyway, sorry. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I can imagine that would be a magical, magical moment, really. Yeah. At the start in your intro, we said that you're a dog mama. Tell mm-hmm. us about the dogs. Oh, I am so lucky. I have the most beautiful dog in the world. Her name is Stella. Um, she's kind of some kind of Staffy, Mastiff, Magic, not 100% sure, um, a rescue special, as they say. And yeah, she's 15 months. Actually, I would have had her in my world one year on the 17th of December. Um, but just really, really lucky to have her in my world and that I get to be her mama. And yeah, I just knew if I was staying in New Zealand, though, I had to have a dog. That was the trade off. I was like, mm. <laughs> you know, if I can't have London, then I'm going to have a puppy. Is that the dog in the photo that we got? Yes, yes. Ah, quality. Mm-hmm. Quality. The dog will make an appearance. Yay! <laughs> yeah, it'll be on the cover. Yeah, we still a shiny moment. Excellent. So we'll get down to the last couple of quick questions for you, mm-hmm. and then we'll let you go and enjoy the rest of your Sunday evening. What's your plans for Christmas? You doing anything? Yes, uh, lots of family stuff, so kind of doing what everybody does, I think, or a lot of people do, driving from one place to the next, mm. so Matar to see some aunties and uncles and cousins and then to Hamilton and do the rounds um, of the family stuff there. Um, but my sister's actually on tour this summer, so I am going to be looking up her dog with my dog um, oh. a lot over the, over the summer break, which will be really cool. You're not nipping into sisters' festivals or anything like that? It's so funny. We're both creatives, but we're both very different scenes. And yes. I'm just not I'm just not cool enough for her. Um no, I'm on <laughs> I'm on dog duty. I do love going to her gigs, so uh, she's an amazing performer and I just get like proud sister vibes. So yeah. So um anything else you would like to talk about or promote for you or your friends or family? Preferably um, you. Me? Oh well, you know, make your noise, please follow us on our socials. Um facebook instagram one day i'll have a tiktok um and yeah come to the shows if you can and if you're a performing artist and you know you want to give a stage a try please get in touch with me i'd love to like hear you and connect with you and see what we can do yeah oh and listen to my podcast when it comes out you know about that bit well this has just been so fun for me as well guys thank you so much i really really appreciate it well thank you for coming on and uh, yeah, we'll let you know as soon as it's live. Yay! Awesome. All right. Thank you. Let's get on with our evenings. It's still light. So it is. Enjoy your nice guys. And yeah, if you need anything else from me, just um, give me a buzz. Yeah.